Hi, this is Cindy Godwin, pastor of Summit Church, and this is our chosen podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope that it helps build up your faith and remind you that God has chosen you and set you apart for His purpose. Enjoy the message. Welcome. So happy you're here. I know today is early release for one of the larger districts. So promise to get you out of here, the mothers that were brave enough to come. And again, the Lord changed my message. I still haven't gotten to give the one I want to give, but I'm going to when he says. I read something the other day that just so riveted me. It really put me in a different place. But first, I'm going to tell you a story. In 1984, we had been looking for years. I've told parts of this before, but not the way I'm going to tell it today. We've been looking for years for a new home. And my husband and I, in 2024, will have been married 50 years. And in 50 years, we've had two houses. The one we're in now and the previous house. Now, I know that's not normal and there's nothing spiritual. If you want to move every six months, that's fine. And I I personally like new. I think new is fabulous. So I just keep redecorating. That's that's what I do. But we're just kind of rooted people. You know, I don't know. We just like, like it the way we do it. And so anyway, but we'd been looking for a home. We had outgrown the home we were in. And so we'd been looking for some time. And everything that we had seen or found, there was just something that wasn't right about it. And so I've told this part before. In December of 1984, no, that's incorrect. It was probably uh, November of 1984, but, you know, around that area. We walked into this house, and the minute I stepped in the door, the minute, I said, this is my house. And it was a model home at the time, and it wasn't for sale. And this particular builder keeps their models for quite a while. And, but I just, that was just my house. And Pam will tell you, I mean, every time we drove by, I would make people wave at my house, (laughs) even though it wasn't. And so one day, you know, in Habakkuk 2, it says, write down the vision and make it plain so that everybody who passes by can see it. And so I wrote down 35 things. I took a legal pad. I wrote down 35 things that I wanted in a home. I thought, well, I don't want to waste any more time. We had seen one house that I thought was really amazing. It was a financial stretch. Didn't want to do that. I've told you before, we've just always chosen to live beneath our means. We just, that's just a conviction we have and, and something we wanted to do. My husband is a wealth management advisor and a CPA, and he sees people all the time that are very highly leveraged and very stressed because of that. And we just chose from the day we got married that we never wanted to be in that position. That's our choice. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. You can go to Beverly Hills and buy a house if you want to on $100,000 a year. I mean, I remember we were in Bel Air with Rick and Cindy, and we were driving around. How many of you have ever been in Bel Air and you've driven that area? And uh, 
darling, the cutest little cottages you've ever seen. They're just adorable. I mean, they're just white picket fence, the cutest little houses. And, I, and, at, and then this was many years ago, and I said, man, I bet those houses are a million dollars. I mean, this is for, you know, a thousand square feet, and Rick goes. And at the time, these little cute cottages were two and a half million. Now, those same things would be, the houses would probably be five million today. And so, at any rate, the only other house I'd seen that was a possibility was just not something we wanted to put money into at the time. And so I walked in this house and I knew it was my house. It wasn't for sale. And so we decided in December of 1984 that we would just build that same house. I had made this list of 35 things. Every single thing that I put on the house was the original house we walked into. All 35 things. It that much described the vision that I had for our family. And so we put a contract, or whatever you call it, earnest money, and we had three days to get out of it. So Randy and I went and sat in front of the original home that I said, this is my home. And we prayed. And I don't know if you know the story of Ishmael and Isaac. I don't want to tell it, the whole story, but it's in Genesis. You can read it yourself. Where God promised Abraham that he would have a posterity. And Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. They had tried. And so Sarah, the wife, the good wife, told Abraham, well, go into my maid and sleep with her. Now, lest you gasp at that, I mean, the law wasn't given. There was no thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's just what apparently they did in those days. I personally would have never told my husband to go sleep with my maid or anybody else. And her name was Hagar, so Abraham did, and she had a son, and the son was named Ishmael. And if you know anything about history, you know that Ishmael is the father of all the Arabian nations. And God said, and Hagar hated Sarah, despised her, and taunted her. The one who had said, go sleep with my maid, taunted her because she'd given Abraham a son. And then the Lord said, no. It's not what I told you. I told you in Isaac shall your seed be called. So, now this is Sandy Ross paraphrase and not how it happened. But basically God said, sleep with Sarah, your wife. And he did. And she got pregnant. And she wasn't any young chick either. She was like 90 and Abraham was 100. And the Bible says she was well, even in those days, she was well past the age of childbearing. Now, I'm personally 70. If God told me to have a child right now, I would say, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Talk to my daughters. But there is no way that I would want to yield my body. And, but Lord, if you want to do that, then appear to me right now. <laughs> See, it didn't happen. So no, I'm joking with you. So anyway... From that concept, and then she did get pregnant. Sarah didn't have Isaac, who is the father of Israel. So we can see why there's a war today without going into this whole message. That's not my message. But we went and sat in front of the original home, and we prayed, and we said, Lord, if what we did, that contract is Ishmael, in other words, not your best purpose, then we just ask you to reveal it. Well, Colossians 3.15 in the Amplified Classic says, to let peace be your umpire. 
Now, I've told you before, when one of my, well, I have one grandson that's phenomenal baseball, but I can tell you my daughters want to kick me out of games because if the umpire makes a call that I don't like, I'm very vocal. And so they have announced to me that I will have to leave if I do that again. Because, you know, the umpire can put you out of the game. You don't argue with him. The Bible says, let peace be your umpire. And let peace settle with finality every question that arises in your mind. Well, neither of us had peace, so we canceled the contract. In October of 1985, it was the day before the October brunch, got a phone call from the man who had originally signed the earnest money contract. And he said, I just want to let you know that that house goes on the market today. We just got out of a meeting. We were told it can no longer be a model, and it has to go on the market. And he said, if you want it, come get it. And Randy waited 30 minutes to call me. You can imagine why. And I happened to be on my knees praying at the moment he called. And I said, come get me. We went, signed a contract, found out the next day 35 people were ahead of us for that house. And the salesman said to us, I just couldn't get you off my mind. You see, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. It's word. And so we signed the contract. And I've told you before, I mean, I went every day and I just gave God praise. And I, I thanked him for that place we would make our habitation. And all the workers in the house call me the great white hope. Because I would just tell them about how good God is. I loved all these men. I would bless them. I would pray for them. I'd stand behind them on ladders. Ask angels to take charge over them. You know, I'm surprised they didn't call me the crazy lady. And maybe behind my back they did. But right before this happened, two to three months before it happened, the worship leader in our church at the time stopped playing the keyboard, I'm telling you the truth, and he said, Randy and Sandy Ross, the Lord says, I've given you the great light to buy a new home. The green light, not the great light. The green light to buy a new home. Congruent with that, somebody brought me. I meant to bring it today, and I didn't. It was an acrylic paperweight with gold coins. And when you turned it over and flipped it, the gold coins would fall down. And she said, the Lord says in two to three months you will have your home. This was before that day in October of 1984, when he did. He was going to give us a new habitation. So today I'm going to talk to you about, it's a little bit serious, and only those who are serious about the things of the Lord will get anything out of this message. If you're just here to be entertained, which I don't think you are, because most of you are very serious. I mean, you even came when there's early release. I'm going to talk to you and ask you a question is the Lord your visitation or your habitation? There's a big difference. And I'm going to mention five ways that we make the Lord our habitation. Because here's the deal. This home we bought and moved into Thanksgiving Day of 1985 is our habitation. We don't visit there. When I walk in, I take off my shoes. I take off everything and put on comfortable clothes. 
and it's there that I live. It's my private place, my private dwelling. It's my sanctuary. It's my place of peace. It's my home. And now it's all decorated. It's beautiful for Christmas. And the lights go on at night. The fire, now the fireplace can even go on. So the other day, and I haven't ceased in 28 years to give thanks to the Lord for giving us that place to live. It's not a mansion. It's not a place in Bel Air. But it's my home. And it's warm and it's inviting. And it's a place of peace. And it is very, very common that people will come over. I have a lot of people walk into my home. And they'll say, it's so peaceful here. This came out of Russ Walden. And it is what started this message today. The Father says, today enter into the full saturation of my presence in your life. Praise, says the Father. Praise until the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes. And then stand in the glory. I haven't changed my mind. I'm standing available to measure my bounty in your life by the bounty of your praise. You will see what others have longed to see. You will know the high places of my presence as the place of your habitation and not just your occasional visitation. Do not settle for visitational glory, says the Father. For habitational glory is available to you now. When I read that, I said, yes, Lord. And I began to think about how frequently we just visit the Lord. We visit the things of God. We're like that person in Mark 4 that the distractions of the age steal the word from our soul. We live in a generation where there are so many distractions, unlike any we have ever lived in. This is why typically I do not watch the news. I don't get involved in elephants and donkeys and all of those things. I want to be involved in the things of the Lord. Habitation is defined as a dwelling place. And as I walked one night, I prayed, Lord, help me to live in your habitation. In Psalm 26, 8, it says, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 22.3, in the first place that we should live in a habitation is in a place of praise and worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. Instead of complaining and criticizing, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and look, listen to the podcast on Chosen Essay or you can go to summitessay.com and, and scroll to media and then pull up last week. I talked about don't throw stones. And how the Lord showed me I had a laundry bag full of stones. I didn't think I did. But when the Lord showed me carrying around a white bag that was cinched like a laundry bag. A laundry bag has dirty clothes. And it had rocks in it. And we referenced John chapter 8. In fact, tomorrow night at our marriage group, we're going to take stones out that we've thrown at our spouses. I know none of you have ever done that. But I bet some people in that group possibly have, not you, Jovette or Michelle, just, you know, other people. 
But God inhabits the praises of his people. What does that mean? It means that when you praise him, he and all the angels that surround you make their home in the habitation of praise. That's why it's so important to be here for worship. And so I'm just telling you, if you make, if you make him your habitation, I want to read to you 1 Peter 2.9. I'm going to read to you from the Passion. You are God's chosen treasure, priest who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous now, light, and now he claims you as his very own. This is great. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Amen. To broadcast his glorious wonders everywhere you go. God inhabits those praises. Every time you give him glory, every time you praise the Lord, every time you bow your head in worship, you're broadcasting his glory and he comes and he lives in those praises. Not just, well, I'll go to the women's group on Tuesday morning and I'll just praise the Lord. That's visiting. Or I'll, I'll go to church and I'm going to pay my weekly dues. Or how about I'm an Easter Christian. Isn't it sad that the largest attended services in the world are on Easter? What is that? I'm just going to visit. But oh, when I get into trouble, when the doctor gives a bad diagnosis, when the bank account is low, when there's marital strife or strife with anybody, oh, then we go, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. I want to visit you today, Lord, because I'm in trouble. That's not making him your habitation. It's fine. I mean, it's great to call on him when you're in trouble. But what about making him the place where you live? So far better. So God inhabits the praises of his people. How else do you make him your habitation and not just your visitation? He inhabits our prayers. You know, I, I think the term my quiet time is fine. We should have a set apart time for sure. The problem is a lot of people substitute that for a life of prayer. Colossians 4.2 says, I told you this wasn't going to be a fun message. It says, be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. If you're married today, do you just visit your husband every now and then? No. You're devoted to him, I hope, or your wife. You're devoted to him. We're to be devoted to prayer. What does that mean? Well, Ephesians 6.18 says what it means. Pray at all times. Every occasion and every season in the spirit with all manner of praying and entreaty. And to that end, keep alert in what? In prayer. And watch with strong purpose and perseverance interceding in behalf of all the saints. More than ever before. What about Luke 18, chapter 1? Jesus said, man ought always to pray and not to turn coward, faint, lose heart, and give up. Prayer is supposed to be our place of habitation. Why is that hard? It shouldn't be. I mean, I talk to the Lord all the time. If I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to him. What is that? That is making prayer our place of habitation. I live in the spirit of prayer. 
all the time. Not just because I'm in trouble or not just, okay, Lord, this is my morning devotional. I'm just going to spend. I'm so proud of me. Lord, I just spent 10 minutes praying today. This is so awesome. Amen. That's not how it works. That's not what it means to be devoted to prayer. But, Sandy, you don't understand. I have little children, and they take a lot of my energy. I know that. I've told you before how my, if my youngest had been my first, she would have been my last. Because she did not sleep through the night till she was 17 months old. And we literally had to let her cry it out. Because I was wiped out clean. I mean, I was wiped out. But when she was a baby... She wanted a nurse every hour, and I was, I let her, unfortunately, because I was homeschooling my other two, my six and eight year old. And I, they needed sleep, and my husband needed sleep. And so I just sacrificed myself and I, to shut her up in the name of Jesus, of course. <laughs> but I remember one night I was laying on the sofa nursing her, and all of a sudden I, the light came on in me. And I just said, devil, you're not taking my sleep. I'm giving it. Lord, I just commit these hours during the night for a prayer fast. And joy just filled me. And when I would get up with her, I would just be filled with joy because I pray. Lately, frequently, the Lord's been waking me up at four in the morning. And I cannot go back to sleep. I'm not tired at all. But I literally, I mean, I will just lay there and pray. That's perfectly fine. I'll devote this to you, Lord. Make prayer your habitation. Thirdly, the word of God. That's how I started at 20 years old. When I picked up a Bible, my husband, who was then my fiance, can I borrow this? Can I borrow this Bible? I still have that particular Bible. It was his. His mother gave it to him in 1963. He wasn't reading it at the time. That was old King James. And somehow I knew to start in the book of Matthew, and I just started reading every single day. Every night I wouldn't go to bed. I would not go to bed until I read in the New Testament. And then when I heard a man named Billy Graham give an invitation in December of 1974, I knelt in, in my apartment at, in College Station, Texas. I was a senior at Aggieland, and my husband was a graduate student, and I gave my heart to Jesus. But the word was alive to me from the beginning. And one of the first scriptures he ever gave me was John 15, 7. If you abide in me, that Greek word abide means habitation. That's why I told you the story of my home. That's where I inhabit. That's where I live. I don't visit there. I'm telling you, someday I'm going to buy a pair of ruby red sequin shoes where I can just tap my heels and say there's no place like home. I don't know about you, but when I go out of town, I can't wait to get home to my bed, my bathroom, my toilet. It's my home. It's my habitation. Think of the Lord. You know, the Bible says to let Christ be a home to you and you be a home to him. When you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he comes and he inhabits you. He lives in you. How often do we silence him? You know, it's kind of like this, and you, you can relate to this. I know you can. It's kind of like you have this lovely, warm, peaceful home, but no, you go live outside. How dumb would that be? How many of you would have liked to live outside yesterday? 
It was cold. I was having lights put out for Christmas. And the, the guys who didn't speak English and no Espanol over here. And we were trying to communicate using hand signals, which is not good. And so I'd have to step outside. I was just freezing. That's how dumb it is to live outside of your habitation. But the Bible says, let, let me be a home to you. So one of the first scriptures the Lord ever gave me was John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you and makes its home in your heart. Ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. Well, what does that mean? It means if you abide in me and my word abides in you and continues to live in you, ask what you will and it will be done for you. That's what it means. It means the word of God. I live so much in the word of God. I'm getting it into me, getting it into me, getting it into me, getting it into me. I do this every day. After 50 years of walking with the Lord, I'm still doing it. I don't go, I already know all this. I don't know a bazillionth of it. You can't exhaust the word because it's alive and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I love the word of God. And I want to inhabit the word of God. I want to make it my home. Colossians 1, 27. This is the next area. And it is a habitation of the glory of God. God was pleased to make known how great for the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ within and among you, the hope of realizing the glory. We had a prophetic word on the glory of God today. Not just a material possession of his goodness, but it, the glory of God is Jesus himself. The presence, the, the, the weight of Jesus living in our lives. And with the weight of Jesus inhabiting us and us inhabiting him. We have our prayers answered. We have a continual epiphany of glory, of praise, of worship, of prayer. Prayer is not something that should be a burden to you. Prayer is something that should be fun for you. I, I enjoy talking to my friends. What about you? I enjoy good conversation, don't you? I mean, do you ever think, you know, I, I, haven't talk, I haven't talked to Shannon in a while. I would love to spend time with her. I'm, that, why? I enjoy the conversation. Why, why aren't we that way with the Lord? Lord, let's just talk today. Let's just converse today. I'll talk to you, you talk to me. And I'll shut up so I can listen. I'll do it. Happens to me all the time. I love to go on prayer walks where I just commune with the Lord. Love it. And, I, and I'll listen to podcasts a lot also. And we'll, we'll just fellowship together. 2 Corinthians 3, 10. Indeed, in view of this fact, what once had splendor, the glory of the law in the face of Moses, has come to have no splendor at all because of the overwhelming glory that exceeds and excels the God glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus. See, when we get in his face, God invites us to get in his face. I love that. I can get in the face of God and pray and praise and worship, not just visit occasionally. And I'm telling you, this was such a conviction to me 
It's so easy just to live in that place of visitation instead of habitation. And I'm determined. I've set my heart. And don't ever, listen, don't ever say, well, Lord, I'm going to try. Because you know what trying does? It gives you an option. Trying gives you an option. I once heard the testimony of a man. He was an airman. He was, was a prolific smoker. And he went to his sergeant. He said, I want to be accountable to you. Because I really need to quit smoking. So I want to be accountable to you. I'm going to try to quit smoking. And the sergeant looked at him and he said, I won't. I won't let you be accountable to me. And the airman said, why? And he said, because if you're trying, then you have an option. I want you to say, I am going to quit smoking. And I will be accountable to you. And that's how it works. I am going to quit making you my occasional. I got my, my duty over. I did my 30 minutes of prayer and reading the word today. I'm done. Aren't you proud of me? How would you feel if you're married? How would you feel if your husband said that to you? Okay, we talked five minutes. I'm done. Leave me alone. We do that in our relationships all the time. It's over. That's, that's not even healthy. I want to abide in him, live in him, make him my home. And it goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And all of us with an unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God as a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. How do you live in the glory of God? You keep the word of God as your mirror and whatever it says goes. You know, it's amazing to me. This is something that has really affected me. Have you ever noticed, and you can't show me a time, where Jesus ever asked the Father to heal anybody? You know why? Because he had the authority. And then you know what he did? He gave his disciples authority. And none of them, look at the man at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3. He said, "Silver." the apostle Peter saw the man at the gate who was crippled. And the guy begged thinking he would get alms. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. He didn't say, Father, heal this man. No, he didn't do that. He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He didn't ask the Father to do it because God had given him the authority to pray. And you know what? We have fallen so short because God has given us as his disciples the authority to pray for people, to see them delivered and healed and set free. We're too busy begging God for something he's entrusted to us. I'm praying right now for someone. It's absolutely heartbreaking. I, I can't tell the story. I don't have permission to do that. But according to medical science, she will be burying a child. And she texted me yesterday and said, this is a mother's worst nightmare. And some of you can attest to that. I, I know you can because I know you personally. And she said, I just, I just need you to tell me that you believe in heaven. She's hurting. She's breaking. But she's begging. Begging doesn't help. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. And I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it, it will be miraculous. But I'm, I'm, I am declaring that. 
Instead of, oh God, oh God, please, please, please. Let me tell you, that doesn't do any good. If the Lord chased your need, he'd be chasing Satan all the time. He has given us power and authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy. So we need to make the glory of God our habitation. And then finally, the love of God. Because love is God and God is love. And purpose to walk in love. I'm telling you, I go to 1 Corinthians 13 frequently. And, I'll, and you know, I'll tell you a really good thing to do. Instead of going and just saying, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous. Go to it and say, I am patient. I am kind. I am not jealous. I do not boast. I am not proud. I am not touchy. I am not fretful. I am not resentful. I do not take into account a wrong suffered. What is that? It is inhabiting the love of God. And you know, if you do that frequently enough, when you are tempted to get out of that, you'll be quickened. I mean, yesterday, I had taken a day off and I just decorated my precious daughter, Katie, who's just the greatest of talents, was helping me. And, you know, glitter, God, deliver me from glitter. Glitter was everywhere. My husband walked in. He goes, honey, you shine. You sparkle. And I looked in the mirror. My forehead's covered. My face is covered. My dog is licking glitter off the floor. I'm screaming because, I mean, I'm concerned she's going to have a stomach full of glitter. And it was everywhere. But I found myself, every time Randy looked at me, I'd smile and I thought, he must think I have flipped. I mean, I'm toxic with glitter. Because the joy of the Lord was just filling me. Because I'd spent the day just inhabiting Him. Thanking Him. Singing to Him. Praying to Him. Speaking the Word of God. It'll change your life. And I'm asking you to make a decision today. Lord, I am going, I'm not going to visit you and the things of you anymore. I'm going to inhabit them. Love is where God is and God is love. And in this love comes the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. When you walk in love, very, very, very clearly, we walk by faith. Because faith works through love. Ephesians 5, 1. Be imitators of God as well-beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. 2 John 1, 6. And what this love consists in is this, that we live and walk in accordance with and guided by His commandments. And this is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, that you continue to walk in love, guided by it, following it. I just told you how to do that. 1 Corinthians 13 tells you what love is. This is not a pop quiz. It's not a trick. It's not a trick question. It's very clear what love is. And so if I think, Lord, am I, am I not in fellowship? I'll never lose my right standing with you. But am I not in fellowship with you today? I'll always go to 1 Corinthians 13. Have I violated love? And if I have, it's always, if you look in 
in the Amplified Classic, love is not touchy, fretful, or resentful. It'll be right there in that touchy part. I mean, I told you last week, I banned my husband from going to my grandchildren's games because he thinks he's his own GPS. Now, I am going to let him come this weekend, so I did repent. <laughs> we'll see how he behaves. No, I'm kidding. John 15, 9. I love each of you. This is Jesus talking. Now absorb this. I love each of you with the same love the Father loves me. Do you hear that? I love you as much as the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with joy and gladness. You see, that's the key to joy, is to walk in love. So this is my suggestion. No. This is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest of love, greatest love of all, is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person lays down his life for his friends. So this is my parting command. This is right before the cross. Love one another deeply. I want to close with Psalm, my favorite, as you know, Psalm 91. If I can find it. If I can't find it, I'll just quote it. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells, he who abides in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shelter of El Shaddai. Shaddai, the first four letters, S-H-A-D in Hebrew, means breast. And that's why often God is called the breasted one. I want to read you the footnote from the Passion Translation because it actually gives an amplification of Shaddai. The Hebrew word, no, wait a minute, excuse me. Shaddai is taken from a Hebrew root word with many expressive meanings. It can mean God of the mountain, God, the destroyer of enemies, God, the self-sufficient one, God, the nurturer, nurturer, breast, nurturer of babies, God, the almighty, he who dwells in the secret place of El Shaddai. That's where I want to live. I don't want to visit. I don't want to visit God. I want to live in him. And I want him to live in me. Because let me tell you something. Those of you who have anxiety, you know why you have anxiety? I'm just saying this because I love you. You have anxiety because you're not abiding. How can you be anxious if you live in a place of the Prince of Peace? You can't. So you know what anxiety is? Check your engine. It's your check engine light. What is worry? Check engine light. What is fear? Check engine light. And all the rest, what is stone throwing? Check engine light. Though all of those things are your check engine lights, something's wrong. And I can tell you, and I can tell me what's wrong. We're not abiding. You see, you may not see the answer right away, but Jesus himself said, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. Ask what you will. 
Psalm 15 tells you how to abide. Who shall dwell permanently or abide on your holy hill? He who walks uprightly, who works rightness and justice, who speaks and thinks the truth in his heart. He doesn't slander with his tongue. He doesn't do evil to a friend. He does not take up a reproach against his neighbor. I think that's cool. He who does not put out money at interest. He who does not take a bribe. He who does these things will never be moved. I, I remember years ago in our first house, uh, we, uh, the, the guy, the couple behind us at the time, and he's since gone to be with the Lord, but they really had some severe financial problems. And one day he came over and he said, uh, our utilities have, been cut, utilities have been cut off. Could we run a, a cord from our backyard to your outlet, backyard outlet so we can have a refrigerator and heat and air? And we said, well, what are you going to say? We said, yes. Love is laying down your life for your friends. And so they lived off of our utilities and we paid the bill. And then sometime later, he came to my husband and he asked to borrow a significant sum of money. Now, let me just tell you something, because there's people in here, you've loaned money and you've never gotten it back. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Jesus said, lend, expecting nothing in return. So if you lend, don't go griping if you don't get it back. And so we lent him the money expecting nothing in return. And we got nothing in return. And one day, Randy went to the, the gentleman and he said, you know what, we're going to cancel that debt. And we didn't have that much in those days. But we did it unto the Lord. Because we have purposed to abide his presence and not just visit. Jesus said in John 15, I want to read the passion. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You will guard and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Habitation, not visitation. That's the choice I've made. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Just know that the worries, the concerns, the state of the world, the chaos, there's all kinds of warnings out now. I uh, have people sending me all these prophetic words of what's being said. I'm not going to say who. That's not my place, but you might have seen or heard. There's been another tragic fall of a, a famous minister in the body of Christ. Many people been horribly affected, horribly affected by it. I watched a service where this was announced and this one man got up and he was so angry at the betrayal. He used profanity. A lady yelled out, I second that. Then the congregation started clapping. And you know, you might think, well, that is just disappointing. And then you just get your gavel out and you sit in the place of judgment. I won't sit in that seat. It's not my place. It's not your place. This is what I know. 
when somebody falls, I don't care who it is, whether they're famous and well-known or whether just your average, nobody-knows-me person, I, God bless you, I can promise you that the Holy Spirit gave that person so many chances to repent privately. It is never his desire to expose you. But you know what Proverbs says? He who, who covers his transgression will not prosper. But who, whoever confesses and forsakes shall find mercy. So whenever a person gets exposed, I know for sure, for sure, they refused to repent. I don't ever want to be that person. Ever. But you know what happened? People worshipped that individual. They worshipped the anointing. How stupid. Did you know? I'm not calling people stupid. I'm saying that's a stupid choice. Did you know that you can be in the most heinous form of sin, whatever you consider that to be, and still be powerful because the anointing is without recall. The Lord doesn't take his gifts from you. So don't be fooled. This is what I've done. I've taken the stars off of people's heads. And I put the star where it belongs. At the feet of Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that even on earth, when we make right choices, he gives us crowns. All so that we can lay them at his feet. What a beautiful thing. So I just want to pray for you. And I want to ask the Lord to give you the power to choose to make him your habitation. Father, I thank you for the grace that you've given me to make you the place where I live. In worship, in prayer, in the word, in the glory, in love. I just choose that. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters that you will give them the grace, the power, and the revelation to make that same choice. Because in that place, Lord, the chaos ceases. The voice of worry ceases. The voice of anxiety and fear and turmoil ceases. And we hear your voice saying, child, I've got this. I pray right now that that strong anointing will come upon everyone in my hearing. The conviction of the reality that we have the power to choose to make you the place where we live. It's the best place on earth. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting ChosenEssay.com. Be sure to follow us at Chosen Essay on Facebook and Instagram.